Okay, well, what we've been doing this semester and what we're going to continue tonight is uh, to take a look at what the Bible has to say about relationships. And just so you know on the front end, uh, I feel like I need to put a footnote next to all of these talks that what you're hearing, it, most of it is not really original to me. So I, this, is, this is, what you hear is um, the byproduct of biblical wisdom, my own pastoral experience, but mostly the accumulation of others and friends of mine and other pastors that I've gleaned from. So if there's anything that I've said this semester that has been helpful, most likely it, did, it came from another source. If there was something that I said that was confusing or offensive, uh, I can... Uh, that was me. That was, I'll take credit for that. Uh, but tonight we're going to continue in our uh, discussion, our second part of our discussion about dating. So we're back in First John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or this little sheet that's passed around or if you just want to look at the screen behind me, it reads this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is God's word for us tonight. Let me pray and then we'll jump in and talk. Father, we're grateful that uh, you promised to meet us in the hearing and in the teaching of your word and pray that your spirit would do so now as we come into this room hot and distracted and exhausted and worn out from the weekend and the week and just everything that's um, demanded of us I pray that you would give us focus and clarity and that you would teach us and open up our eyes unclog our ears soften our hearts that we would see and behold um, the beauty of the gospel once again pray all this in Jesus name Amen well, I heard recently about two college freshmen, none of whom are y'all or go to this school. So that it takes place at a different school. But freshman guy gets up the nerve to ask out freshman girl, which already high five and side hug to him for doing that. <laughs> and so he asks this girl out. She says yes. They go out and go out and enjoy dinner together. And then after dinner, he decides to impress her by going to this little field by campus. There's this big kind of open field right by campus and have a picnic dessert. So they go out there and kind of sit down and it's getting kind of dusk now and kind of you can't really see and uh, has the picnic basket. And for the, the, the first 10 minutes of this picnic dessert, she's fidgeting and kind of uncomfortable and obviously is not, you know, keep, keeps adjusting. And so she eventually reaches underneath and pulls out uh, a dead squirrel that she's been sitting on. And uh, needless, needless to say, they did not go, that did not go out again. That was their one and only uh, dating experience. And uh, the reason I begin with dead squirrels and terrible freshman dating stories is because that's, that's usually the feeling that we have associated when it comes to dating more or less, that it's weird, it's awkward, it's fun, but it's terrible. And last week we tried to basically kind of get into why is that? Why is dating the way that it is? Why can it be so weird and awkward and terrible? And um, just so you know, um, the Bible, like I said last week, does not directly speak to the reality of dating because dating is a modern cultural reality. They did not date back then. Things were in some ways easier back then than we have now. And so 
Just know on the front end, you do not have to agree with the conclusions that I have landed on tonight. And, I, and I've already had tons of great conversations with y'all that have kind of, um, that these, these Tuesday nights have created awesome conversations. So please keep, you know, feel free to keep dialoguing. I'd love to grab coffee or lunch or whatever and keep discussing this stuff. But I said last week, just to kind of recap if you weren't here or if you've already forgotten, last week I tried to make the case that the way that we do dating has some serious problems to it because it's driven by insecurity. And the way that we look for security in our dating relationships is that we basically do these dress-up, play-pretend marriages so that we can have a sense of security, a sense of um, stability, a sense of like that insecurity is gone. This really is a commitment. I can know that this is true. But in fact, what happens is you don't feel more secure. You don't feel more stable. In fact, what ends up happening is you feel more jealous, more controlling, uh, more possessive, more neurotic, more insecure. And so tonight what I want to do is try to take a practical look at the way forward. What would it look like to do um, dating differently than maybe we currently do it. And just so you know, when I sat down in my office this morning, by the end of um, my gathering thoughts and research and whatnot, I had come up with seven points and 15 pages worth of material. So rather than keep you in this hot prison for the next hour and a half, uh, I've decided to cut it in half. We're going to do half tonight and then continue once again another discussion on dating for next week. So if you've, if you've hate talking about dating, you can skip next week and then circle back and we'll talk about something else. But three weeks dedicated to this wonderful reality of dating. So here's how we're going to approach this tonight. I want to basically look at um, three words that need to be re-examined, in my opinion. Definitions, rules, and intensity. So those are kind of, that's the roadmap of what we're doing tonight. We're going to look at definitions, rules, Intensity. So let's get into it. Here's the first thing. Definitions. And by the way, just a lot of my thinking on this particular point um, comes from a friend of mine named Les Newsom, who used to be the RUF campus minister at Ole Miss. And um, so a lot of this comes from him. But he makes this point, and I think he's right, that all relationships beg for definition. All relationships, every relationship that you are in, it begs for a definition. In other words... Every, every relationship that you step into, some are more obvious, some are more intuitive, you're, you're, you're asking this question, what are we? What is this? And like I said, like your relationship with your professors, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. You don't really have to ask that question, what is this dynamic like? Or your relationship with your parents, you just sort of know what that dynamic is like. Very intuitive, very obvious, but those definitions are kind of set in stone, set in place. When it comes to your relationship with your friends, or especially people that you're romantically interested in, those definitions get really fuzzy. So every, de- every relationship begs for a definition, but you also have to see that every relational definition comes with it appropriate and inappropriate behaviors that are consistent or inconsistent with that definition. So let me give you a light example of what I mean by that, what I mean by that, and then a heavy example of what I mean by that. So if you think about um, the behaviors between athletes on a football field, one of the um, behaviors that is appropriate for um, athletes is, you know, somebody to do something good, celebration, chest bump, maybe in a little butt pat as a, as a little celebration. You've seen them do it, I'm, you know, whatever. And so... 
that sort of behavior is appropriate for that relational definition. But if you took that behavior, you know, chest bumps and butt pats, and you applied it to your relationship with your professor, <laughs> inappropriate. And anytime there is inappropriate behavior that's not consistent with that relational definition, there's always some level of damage that's done. So if there's chest bumping and butt patting going on with you and your professor, there's some level of damage being done. That's the light example. Here's the heavier example. When you have two um, married people enjoying sex with each other, that's appropriate. That's appropriate behavior to that relational definition. But as soon as one of those, one, one of those two people from that couple starts exhibiting sexual behavior towards their child, Unbelievable damage is done. Inappropriate behavior. So, my, so my, my simple point is this, is that basically every single relationship that you have, it has a definition and it comes with it appropriate and inappropriate behaviors, whether or not you're being consistent to that relational category. Here's why all this is relevant. is because according to the Bible, according to the way that God views relationships, guys and girls only have, if you basically boil it down, there are three options, three definitional categories that a guy and a girl can fall into if they're not related. And they are this. If a guy and a girl are not related, they can either be friends, engaged, or married. Biblically, those are your definitional options. And so let's just walk through these really quickly, what each of these mean and what behaviors would be appropriate or inappropriate with that. Let's start with friends. What is friendship? Well, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but friendship is most basically when a guy and a girl would choose to relate to each other in the most fundamental relay way of how another human being can relate to another human being. Basic definition, and what would be the appropriate behaviors for that? Well, the appropriate behaviors would be we spend time with each other, we enjoy each other, we share our lives with each other at some level, uh, we encourage each other. If we're both Christians, we relate to each other like brothers and sisters in Christ. And so then you ask the question, um, okay, if you are going to say that you're friends, if, if you and this other person are going to say this is the category that we fall under, then you have to act that way. The behavior has to be consistent with the relational definition, which is why friends with benefits never works. If you, are, if you are doing some level of sexual activity, small or big, with someone that you are considering a friend, let me give you a massive newsflash. This thing is destined towards carnage. It's heading to bad places. This will blow up in your face. Uh, the great movie about this, actually. If you've seen um, 500 Days of Summer, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, Zoe Deschanel. Let me, let me read you a... Um, a little dialogue from this movie. This movie is basically about relational definitions. He really likes her. He wants the title. She enjoys him, doesn't really care about the title, wants to have sort of a casual thing with him, and the thing blows up as a result. And here's what he says, and by the way, I've kind of had to edit some of the language in here just for sake of my sensitive ears out there. But here's what he says. He says, friendship yeah, right. <laughs> That's my editing. I don't know what else to say. Friendship, yeah, right. And she goes, well, we're just... And then he cuts her off and he says, no, don't pull that with me. Don't even try. This is not how you treat your friend. Kissing in the copy room, holding hands in Ikea, shower sex. Come on, friends. 
And she says, I like you, Tom, but I just don't want a relationship. And he goes, but you're not the only one who gets a say in this. I do too. And the reason why he's angry and frustrated and confused is because she's saying with her mouth, I don't want a relationship with you, but she is saying with her body, I do. And she's a liar. And that's confusing. And that's why there's carnage in this relationship. So, if you are friends, if that's the relational category that you fall under, then friends with benefits doesn't make sense. It's inappropriate behavior to that sort of relational definition. So let's look at the second option for you. If you're a guy and you're a girl and you're not related, you can be friends or you can be engaged. And engaged, uh, definition, very obvious. Definition here are two people that are moving towards marriage. They have set a date on the calendar and they're heading towards marriage together. And what would be the appropriate or inappropriate behaviors alongside of that? Well, some of the behaviors for an engaged couple is that uh, you're having conversations now that would have been inappropriate before you got engaged because now you're talking about like where you're going to live together. You're talking about like how you're going to join bank accounts. You're going to premarital counseling and talking about having sex with each other and in-laws and finances and communication and all that. You're starting to wean off of your behavior or your relationships from other people from the opposite sex that you may have been close to before. It's fairly obvious, fairly intuitive. And then let's look at the third category, marriage. Marriage, uh, we're going to spend a whole week on this down the road here in a few weeks, so I'm not going to say a whole lot here, other than to say that the, the definition of marriage is when a guy and a girl are covenantally bound to each other, that they stand up in front of God and witnesses and say, I will love you and be faithful to only you, period, despite all conditions. And then the, the behaviors are that are inappropriate to that are um, fairly intuitive as well. So, those are your three options. Friends, engaged, married. Now you're thinking, okay, I'm dating someone. Where does that fit in this uh, spectrum? And you see, it kind of doesn't. It's kind of this gray, funky zone where it's like, we're not, I mean, we're not, we're, we're not merely friends. We're friends, but we're not merely friends, but we're not quite ready to get engaged yet either. We're not ready to put a ring on it, Beyonce. And so, uh, if that's sort of your relational definition, technically, biblically, in the eyes of God, you would be friends. If you're not engaged and you're not married, the only other option is friends. We want to say, no, 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 there's another option. There's another category called dating, and that has its own inappropriate or appropriate behaviors to it. But you just have to see, biblically speaking, that's not an option. You are technically... In the eyes of God, friends that may or may not be moving to engagement. So then you have to ask the question, okay then Matt, what would be the appropriate or inappropriate behaviors if we fall under that sort of relational category? And here's kind of where you want me to answer the question, how far is too far? Which is another way of asking the question, how much sexual stuff can I do and then just not feel guilty about it anymore? Which is really a bad question. I, I don't have a good answer for this question. I'll, I'll say this as an aside. If you're dating each other, I think the way that you should treat each other and relate to each other should be as if you are, let me, I'll put it this way. You need to treat them as if you are dating somebody else's future spouse. You need to treat the person that you're dating as if they're someone else's future spouse. Meaning, 
if the person you're dating, if you and that other person do not make it to the altar, as it were, and they end up with someone else, can you attend their wedding, shake their spouse's hand, look them in the eye with integrity and say, I, when I was dating your spouse, I respected them and I took care of them and I treated them well. My guess is most of us would not be invited to the wedding of someone else if, if they broke up with us and married someone else. Because we know we have not treated them with respect. We have not treated them well. And I know some of you are thinking, man, that, that sounds so prudish and fundamentalistic. Like, what does that mean? We can't, like, we can't kiss each other? Where's the line? And we're going to talk about kissing and what that does to relationships next week, because I think it's important. But I do, I'm going to go on record and say, I think it's, it can be, and I choose my words carefully, it can be appropriate and okay to um, show affection by way of kissing someone that you're, quote, dating or whatnot. I think it's very possible to kiss another human being in a non-sexualized way. And you say, that, that's, that is that impossible. It's impossible that you could ever kiss another human being in a non-sexualized way. And then you're wrong and I'm right because I do it every single day with my daughter. So it's very possible to kiss another human being in a non-sexual way way. So here's my basic point with all of this whole sort of first idea. Bottom line, biblically speaking, you have to answer the question, what's my relational definition with this person? And then what would be the inappropriate or appropriate behaviors along with that? Definitions needs to be rethought. Second idea, rules. And these are not me, (laughs) I'm not going to give you rules right now. I hope it doesn't feel that way. Uh, In other words, what I want to do is I want to examine and unpack the rules that go into dating. Meaning, as soon as you cross that threshold and you have the DTR and the relationship becomes institutionalized and we're now dating, the way we do it in our modern context is that immediately has a host of unwritten rules to how you relate to each other now. Let me give you a couple examples. The guy gets frustrated with his girlfriend, and she says, what's going on? And he says, hey, I texted you yesterday morning, and you didn't respond until that night. And I just thought, hey, if we're dating, I would have heard from you by now. See, the rule, the unwritten rule is there's a, there's a rule on text response time. And if you, haven't, if you break that rule, then I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be upset. Or you know, another example is um, the, guy looks at the, the girl looks at the guy and says, hey, you've been spending a lot of time with that girl from your class. I know you all are working on a project together, but I don't like it. I, don't, I, want, I want you all to figure out a way to not spend so much time with each other as you are working on this project. And the rule is I have claim over your time, and I, and I choose who you spend time with. And if you break that rule, there's going to be punishments. And actually, one of the... Um, I mean, this is basically how it works with dating. The assumption is, is that as soon as we start dating and we're boyfriend and girlfriend, there is now a sense of ownership. You are mine. I am yours. I possess you in some way. I possess, we talked about this last week. I possess your time. I possess your attention. And I possess your body. This is, this is basically like how dogs relate to fire hydrants is they urinate on it and mark their territory. This is mine now. And when we cross that threshold and have that DTR, we've kind of urinated on each other and said, you're mine. (laughs) Nobody else gets you. You're mine. 
And that sense of possession, possessiveness, and ownership comes with it all of those rules. And really, I think all of the problems, most of the problems in our dating relationships today come when other, when someone of the couple breaks one of these unwritten rules. When the rule gets broken, that's when the punishments start happening. And the punishments can take um, passive forms, if the other person has broken one of the rules about either text response time or you haven't given me enough attention or whatever, the passive form is kind of pouting and being cold and kind of distant. And then the other person asks, hey, what's wrong? And you say, nothing, which is just a form of punishment to make them feel it. But of course, there are much more um, aggressive forms of punishment where there's kind of the loud screaming, fighting, uh, couples can throw things. Fists can go through walls. I mean, that, that's just kind of what can happen when, when rules get broken within a dating relationship. That's sort of when the punishments get um, rolled out, as it were. And so here's my question at this point. Here's my question. Do you have a right to enforce rules on the other person just because you're dating them? Do you have a right to demand the way that they treat you based off of the fact that y'all are dating? And my position is no, you do not. You do not own them. You do not possess them. You do not claim them. Look, one of, one of the healthiest relationships that I've ever experienced, that I ever have witnessed, is not my own, this is a students of mine. At, at the old school I used to do RUF at, I was a campus minister at um, Appalachian State University before I was here. And two of our students, one of our students, this girl named Meredith, went to summer conference with us and met a guy at a different school, which is kind of a sidebar commercial plug for you to check out summer conference when we get to <laughs> May. But she goes down to summer conference, meets a dude from Georgia Tech. And he starts, you know, kind of uh, working his thing, doing his thing with her. And so they, you know, they break from Panama City, Florida, go back to their respective schools. And he starts driving up from um, Georgia Tech up to Boone to take her out on dates. And they start going out on dates and start talking a lot. And, you know, a few weeks of this, a few months of this maybe, goes by. And Meredith is in Boone, and some guy from her class asks her out on a date. She's kind of torn about this and doesn't know what to do and uh, calls her guy, his name is Mike, calls Mike and basically tells her, hey, this guy you know, from class today asked me out on a date. And because Mike actually was secure in who he was in Jesus and had his happiness rooted in him, did not feel threatened by this other guy. In fact, here is what he said to Meredith. I called Meredith this morning to fact check this, and here's what he said. You are not tied down to me. I have no claim over you. In fact, if there is a better option out there for you, I want that for you. Uh, if this guy could love you and serve you and meet your needs in a way that I couldn't, then I'm actually for that. And so he encouraged her to say yes to the dude, and she did. It went out with the guy. None of her friends understood it. They were all confused, just like all of y'all are confused why in the world someone who's dating someone else would go on a date with someone else under the permission of the person she's dating. But of course, how do you think she felt? How do you think she felt when she heard that come out of his mouth? I want what's best for you. 
I'm secure enough in who I am. I don't feel threatened by this. And if this guy can love you and serve you better than I could, I'm for it. How do you think she felt? She goes on this date and thinks about Mike the whole time. Because her heart is captured now by someone she's never encountered. I've never encountered a guy that is that uniquely confident and secure in who they are to basically look at another woman and say, I want what's best for you, and if it's not me, go find it with someone else. And that's awesome. And I had the privilege of marrying them last summer. They're married to this day. Wow, okay. Here's my point. Here's my point. All the girls just... Oh. If, if you want a healthy dating relationship, I think it would do you good to think about your relationship with your significant other not in terms of rights, but in terms of privileges. That you don't own them, you don't possess them, their time is not yours, their attention is not yours, their body is not yours. You, they're not your territory. Therefore, I think your, your relationship will have a whole lot more character to them if you think about your relationship with them in terms of privileges, not in terms of rights. Those are the rules. We need to undo, rethink through the way that we apply rules to these relationships. Here's the last point. The last point is intensity. Intensity. And here is kind of where I'm going to climb up on my big soapbox here and talk about intensity because our dating relationships are way too stinking intense. We, we get into these relationships and just say, we're going to, let's crank up the emotional and physical dial about as far as it can possibly go. And one of the reasons why guys don't ask girls out on dates as much anymore, which is a huge sad thing in my opinion, is because of how intense we have made relationships and how intense we've made dates. I think guys would ask girls out on dates a whole lot more if the pressure valve was released on what a date is If a date is really just a guy and a girl spending time with each other to get to know each other, it doesn't have to be hyper intense. But the girls say, guys don't ask us out. Um, they're too lazy. They're too immature. They just want to bro out all the time and play Xbox and spend time with each other. And they don't ever ask us out. I heard you say this last week after RUF. And the guys complain. They say, well, you know, we would ask the girls out if we, you know, as soon as we did, if we knew that everybody and their mother wasn't going to start talking about it, put all this pressure on us, because we know as soon as you go on this date and you're done, you come back home and you meet your roommates and they form the panel of CSI detectives <laughs> that start analyzing every clue of what happened that night. Did he open the door for you? Did he kiss you goodnight? You're going to start dating. You start combing through and put all this emotional and crazy stress and pressure on the relationship. And I think guys would basically ask more girls out if they, if we just sort of all understood a date is a guy and a girl spending time with each other intentionally to get to know each other. But, I mean, man, even this has already happened this semester. Guys have already said this to me and pushed back on me about this. They say, Matt, that is a nice, lovely dream world that you live in. But as soon as we ask somebody out, she's going to start thinking things. Everybody's going to start talking and so, you know, what do I do if I ask everybody out? You know, if I ask somebody out, then everybody's going to start talking. What is she going to think? And here's what I want to say. It's like, guys, 
this is where you put your big boy pants on and say, I don't care what other people think. I'm secure enough in who I am in Jesus. And so I'm going to put the risk out there and actually ask the girl out. And if she wants to think what she wants to think and everybody wants to talk, let them. I don't care. Because I know what I want out of this relationship, which is what? To get to know you. You know, um, Andy from The Office understood this. You know, when Andy um, started um, uh, crushing on Aaron, the uh, receptionist, here's what he says in one of his monologues. He says this. I like Aaron. There, I said it. I was kind of hoping she would ask me out, but things did not pan out on that front. So it's time for the nard dog to take matters into his own paws. So look, for the sake of being hyper-practical and a little bit, of, a little bit pejorative, let me walk through um, with you guys in particular how you can take matters into your own paws. And I want to walk you through what it would look like for you to actually ask a girl out on a real date. Here's what you do. You call her or you ask her in person. You do not text her. You do not Facebook message her. <laughs> My daughter's okay. If she, if she, when she grows up, if she, if she tells me some guy asked her out via text message or Facebook or whatever social media is invented then, I'm going to look at her and say, do not waste your time with that tool shed. <laughs> because it's gutless. It's, it's, it's you being a coward. You go up to her in person or on the phone and say, phone's good. And, and here's, uh, here's what you ask. You ask her. You, you don't ask her this. You do not say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Bad question. Because let's say she's open and she wants to hang out with you, but because you said, what are you doing this weekend? And she says nothing. Now she looks like a tool shed herself. <laughs> like, I'm a loser. I don't do anything on the weekends. <laughs> or maybe she has something going on and she wants to go out with you, but you say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And she says, oh, I got that sorority function. And you're like, oh, okay, I feel... I feel like, okay, she doesn't, she's dodging me, she's not interested, and you go home and pout about it. But that's not uh, the best question to ask. The best question to ask is, hey, um, would you like to go on a date with me this Saturday night? And call it a date. Because if you don't use the word date and y'all go out, then the whole time she's going to be doing the CSI detective thing wondering, is this a date? Are we friends? Why are we hanging out like this? If, if we're friends, we just grazed my shoulder. What does that mean? <laughs> So you call it a date. And then, girls, once the guy has actually worked up the nerve to ask you on a date, you have two options on how to respond. This is not rocket science. You can say yes or you can say no. And this is not, I can point to no verse in the Bible, but my opinion is I think you should say yes, at least on the first date. Because you never know. That you Maybe you didn't know who this guy was, and y'all spend some time together, and you realize, okay, this guy's actually cool. And it gives them confidence. And the more girls say yes to dates, the more guys will do it. So you can't say yes, but you don't have to. But here's the thing. You can't say yes if what you really want to say is no. There's nothing that guys hate worse than for us to ask you out and you say yes, but then you give us the runaround and we don't, we, it never gets scheduled and you're kind of being weird and dodgy about it. And once it's actually scheduled, when we actually do go out, you're cold and distant and obviously not into it. So 
If you mean no, you don't want to go out, then please say no for the guy's sake. Guys are terribly frustrated when you say yes, but you actually mean no. And guys, if the girl says no, which is a legitimate option, one of two, and, and I think, okay, here would be a kind way to say it, girls. You know, thank you, I'm very flattered, uh, but I, I'm not interested in going out at this time. I think that's great. Thank you. I'm flattered. I'm not interested. That's honest. If the girl says no, if the girl says thank you, I'm flattered, but I'm not interested at this time, then guys, what this means for you is that you can't pout about it. You can't be sad. I mean, you can be bummed out about it, but you can't be angry because she owes you nothing. The fact that she said no... You should actually respect the crap out of her for having sort of the dignity to actually be honest with you. So if she says no, respect her and enjoy her friendship. But if she says yes, then here's what you do. You take her out and you get to know her. It's that simple. It's you hanging out, a guy and a girl. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what dating essentially is, is you're trying each other on for marriage. You're figuring out whether or not this is going to move forward, and that takes spending time and getting to know each other. I think every relationship on this campus would, would be so much healthier and it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't be infected with all of the insecurity and all the toxicity and all the drama if we just turn the pressure down on the intensity level, on what a date is and what dating is. But really, okay, last thing, how do you do that? How do you turn the intensity down when everything in you wants to crank it up full steam ahead? And, and the best way that I know how to um, wrap up tonight is to talk about Frozen again. <laughs> Sorry, my, my daughter's birthday party was this uh, Sunday, and one of her four themes for her birthday party was Frozen. The other three was Ariel. That was it. Not, not My Little Mermaid. Ariel. <laughs> My Little Pony and Dinosaurs. So, but Frozen. She's four years old. She's crazy. I love her. You remember the, uh, I'll I'll try not to spoil. I'm not going to spoil it tonight. (laughs) Even though I spoiled it like two weeks ago. But you remember Queen Elsa has this power that is, um, that hurts people that she loves. And so she's terrified. So she leaves basically her society. She goes and she isolates herself. She's terrified, she's lonely, and as you know, she, in the course of things, experiences an act of sacrificial love. And even though her heart is not the one that is frozen throughout the movie, that act of sacrificial love thaws her heart. And it brings her out of isolation. It awakens love in her. The experience of love awakens love in her. And that's actually what is going on in the passage that I read for you at the beginning of the night. If you, if you look at First John, this is basically making this point that when you experience the sacrificial love of God to you in Christ, that is what awakens real love in you. But the point is, the, the, the hard part is, is, is that you have to be honest about verse 10. Because verse 10 says this, while we didn't love God, he loved us. While we were spiritually unfaithful, he loved us. When we were wrecks and brought carnage and damage into all of our relationships, he loved us. 
when we could really give a rip about him and don't really want to read the Bible and are terrible at prayer and really don't want to be kind to people that we should, he loved us. He loves us. And when you are on the receiving end of that, when you've experienced God's sacrificial love for you in Christ, that he would lay down his life in your place for someone like me that has brought damage to other people's lives because of how terrible of a dater I was, and in some ways how terrible of a husband I still am. When you experience that sort of sacrificial love for you, it thaws your heart. Love always awakens love. And once you have been on the receiving end of his Love, and that really does get in your bloodstream. What that does is it transforms you to want to figure out how can I sacrificially love the people in my life? How can I lay down my life for others? How can I assume risks in dating? How can I be kind and thoughtful and mature about the person I'm dating? I think all of our dating relationships would be so much more healthy and stable and secure if we found ourselves located and rooted and the love of God. That out of our lives would flow bold, confident, secure, holy love for other people. It wouldn't be this insecure, toxic, drama, needy, clingy way that we do relationships. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would meet us and remind us of your love once again. In some ways, we have really, um, and I'll be the first to admit, we do not do relationships well. I do not do relationships well. We, we have brought about damage and scars in our own life and in the lives of other people because we have been selfish and needy and insecure and we have not understood who we really are. So would you remind us once again of your great love? Would you thaw our frozen hearts? Would you awaken love in us that we would be transformed from the inside out to be radically different people, to date differently, to love differently? And so we repent of our selfishness and our lack of trust in you and our lack of remembering your great love for us. So convince us afresh even now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.